From Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. My name is Mickey Hellerback. I am a uh, writer and podcaster for Central Sauce, as well as a few other publications, aka I'm freelance out in these streets. And I'm here today with Jeshima Wadara and Charlie Taylor. What's up, Jeshima? What up, Charlie? How y'all doing? What's up? We're good. R.I.P. Tyler. R.I.P. Tyler. Our friend Tyler. <laughs> Let's actually, I don't know why he said R.I.P. because that's going to confuse the audience. Tyler. <laughs> Tyler's not dead. He just had to, he got sick so he had to bail out on this last minute but we're out here with charlie doing the quick fill-in six man of the year yep. charlie out here pulling tyler up. hero without the bad toe honest tyler hero to fill in for tyler yep and uh yeah um do y'all want to introduce yourselves more than me just saying your names or how are we going to do this <laughs> <Go ahead, Jay. laughs> i'm Jashima. i co-host the central sauce podcast from time to time tyler isn't dead charlie's just very insensitive to the loss people are experiencing in a pandemic no i'm kidding um tyler's just a little under the weather you know he'll be back next time but i'm good i've been chilling i'm co-producing a summer stage show with central park on august 6th it's free so if you're in new york or if you're not you should come to new york but everyone should come to that sweet yeah that's going to be crazy. DJ Reka on the ones and twos. going to be a wild time. Charlie, what have you been up to? Uh, uh, well, apparently this is uh, the second of three recordings I'm doing today as we record. So that's fun. Uh, locked up an interview. Um, did some uh, did some uh, experimental um, on that front, which is good. Shout out to whoever I interviewed. That will drop soon. Um, DITD as well, obviously, dropping every Tuesday. Going to be doing uh, some episodes on the Neptunes universe. Um, so Neptunes first and then NERD as well. So that'll be fun. Um, Going to get in our 2000s bag. And uh, yeah, apart from that, writing, uh, photography, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, keeping this fair podcast alive, apparently. <laughs> as right. Tyler recovers from a fever, by the way, so he's not dead, but he just acted like he was. He lies, Tyler. But anyway, let's go. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that sounds great. Both of y'all got cool stuff going on. I'm going to run through uh, the pieces we're going to be discussing on today's podcast. First, uh, the first one we'll talk about, which is my piece, is Meet Not the Twos, the artist whose debut single landed on Kendrick Lamar's new album by Brenton Brenton Blanchett via Pigeons and Planes. The second piece we are going to be talking about is Jeshima's piece, and that is Kid Cudi calls fan bogus for saying original, a kid not named Cudi mixtape artwork is better than new version. That's by C. Vernon Coleman II via XXL. And Charlie's going to close us out with Black Star's No Fear of Time or how uploading an album as a podcast could take back control from big stre- big streaming by Will Hagel via Passion of the Weiss. Um, but before we get into that, uh, quickly, let's do a little round of what we've been listening to. Uh, Charlie, since you uh, you yeah. closed out the intros, what have you been listening to? <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been getting into, uh, more specifically, uh, Jazz's Dead series um, by Adrian Young and Ali Shaheed Muhammad. 
of a uh, tribal quest fame obviously um they i think it's i think it's just their own label and they're currently just on their blue note tip and getting just some legendary uh, artists from uh from several uh, spectrums and uh, also up and coming um they've dropped three projects this year alone uh with a uh, vocalist gene khan i've done it with 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 or without any because sometimes it has the sometimes it doesn't and uh, they did have a most recent one, if I can jolly up real quick, um, but that was a really solid one. Uh, but yeah, I feel like they have more in the tank, um, simply because there's a couple of songs that I've seen already from their original uh, Jazz is Dead 011, if I can remember correctly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just doing some really good stuff all over that pl- all over that uh, spot. Shout out to Adrian Young, Ali Shahi Mohammed, Catalyst as well. They have an album with Catalyst as well that dropped uh, this past Friday. And yeah, I've just been getting into all that all that jazz to to quote Mick Jenkins. So yeah, it's uh, some, mm-hmm. some good stuff all over that spot. Hey, shout out the Waters classic mixtape. Yup. Um. Yeah, Joshua, what have you been listening to? Gosh, what have I been listening to? I feel like. I haven't been listening to that much new music, but I've been very into Central Z the last six months, which feels like the theme of my life, courtesy a very stormy ride with Mickey in a snowstorm in January. Ever since, I think I just have a lot of Central Z on repeat. Yeah. Nah, it's just the the way that he like fits in the pockets of the drill beats. I really think it's just different than everybody else. Charlie would highly disagree, but it's okay. We're not we're not from the UK, so we don't have the you know purest perspective like my guy over here. Oh, don't listen, listen. Sometimes I'm surface level, and you know, yeah, commitment (laughs) issues feels like the soundtrack to my life right now. So, Joshua, I'm glad you're still nostalgic for the time we almost died driving through a blizzard, and that's why you keep listening to Central C. I mean, (laughs) if it's any consolation, I'm listening to Commitment Issues because. Someone I know has commitment issues, so. Oh boy. Well, okay. Yeah, Um, yeah. let's let's talk about it, apparently. Let's not. Anyway, um, (laughs) what I've been listening to, in case anyone cares, is uh, I just, I started bumping that new Steve Lacey this morning. Um, I went like on, it's kind of an interesting thing. I like when this happens with music. I, I listened one time, like, uh, I guess Saturday or yesterday morning when it came out and I wasn't really feeling it. And then there's like something that kind of kept pulling me back to it for some reason. And then I listened this morning and it felt like I was listening with new ears. And I kind of, I really like when that happens actually. And it's tough to do sometimes um, because there's so much new music to take in. But uh, I was like, oh no, for some reason I get it. Um, I had like heard a clip of it on something on TikTok and I was like, hmm, maybe I should just take another listen and see what's up. So I thought that was cool. I really like Brent's, Brent Fiaz's new album. Uh, I was talking to Tyler about it. It's it's really crazy. Uh, it's one of my tops of the year for sure. And um, I just got back for. I mean, we were talking about you know moving and shaking in the world. And uh, I just got back from Greece, and I randomly heard a lot of like Greek trap music that I never knew any existence of. And uh, so I'm still kind of you know you know getting back from the trip and still listening to what i was listening to over there particularly this one song called traficante by snick the hustler which is the real song of the summer in my book um and no one will agree who listens to it but you weren't in greece with me so there anyway uh yeah so but speaking of kind of you know music we've been listening to music this year i am uh kendrick has always been my favorite artist since i heard him in 2010 and uh, there's a lot of different varying opinions on the album going forward, but it's still my album of the year personally. And I brought a piece 
um, that there's actually been very few kind of interview style pieces that surrounded the album in any way, shape or form, because the people around his camp have been very like hush hush about doing interviews, even on some like back end stuff of me trying to reach out to different people. I've like almost had a few <laughs> interviews surrounding it fall through because of NDAs. So, but it's cool to have read about, um, someone who got in contact with someone who's a, you know, within the sphere of people creating the album. Um, and so my piece again, for, uh, just to repeat the title is meet, not the twos, the artist whose debut single landed on Kendrick Lamar's new album by Brenton Blanchett via pigeons and planes. So first and foremost, to get into talking about the piece, I want to welcome back everyone to their favorite segment on ISOS of Mickey brings a piece to the podcast that he himself wishes he had written. I know I do this almost every time we have a new podcast episode and I think I actually took a break from it last time and it was more something that was out of my general realm, but this one fits right in the pocket of something I wish I had written. This piece is truly the epitome of this idea to me. What this piece really lit up in me actually is what also first excited me about online hip hop media when I first got into it. And that's discovery. I was like, I'm definitely a product of the blog era via Nah Right and Rap Radar to Dope Boys, kind of stuff like that. And this piece really felt like a real like, okay, we're really showing you this new person who's on the rise, who's affiliated with this, 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 and this, and kind of a real breakdown of that. And that's actually how I discovered Kendrick. So that felt kind of nostalgic to read this piece a little bit. Um, yeah, so Brenton Blanchett, again, uh, the, the author of the piece for Pigeons and Planes, did some admirable research to find the vocalist behind the first words uttered on Kendrick's latest album and came to discover a wildly intriguing artist behind the curtain who, is who he is using this platform to reveal to the readers. What's even more cool is through this discovery and uncovering, Blanchett happens to land on the fact that for this artist, Tim Maxey, a.k.a. Not The Twos, it was a huge moment for him to be on a Kendrick project as he is his favorite artist, just like Kendrick is my favorite artist. So reading this piece and learning more about Maxey felt like a constant reveal of how he views music similarly to me. He also, he also uh, was discovered by Kendrick because of his work on an album that also really affected me, which was kind of a cool reveal in the piece. Uh, and that is To Myself by Baby Rose, which is a really kind of specifically intriguing project, not just uh, with her vocal style, but also with the production. So it was cool to know. It, I think Blanchett did a really good uh, job of kind of connecting the dots of where he fits into everything. And it kind of was like this continual discovery thing for me. Um yeah, so it just like it really felt like it was meant for me to read and it just had it was a piece that had uh, really organic storytelling rather than, you know, it's it's hard as a journalist when we're writing things to not on any level kind of force the story more to add more substance to a piece. And this piece felt entirely devoid of any of that to me. It just felt like the the story was so holistic and it had interesting tidbits kind of unfolding as it happened, even though it's like kind of an intro Q&A thing that it felt like, you know, it just encompassed all things that were were natural coming out of the, the kind of research going into it. So I thought that that was uh, really cool. Yeah. Uh, and that's my semi long intro. But uh Interested to hear what, what you guys thought of the intro and Q&A. Any kind of opening thoughts generally about what stood out to you about Not The Twos and the interview style of Brenton Blanchett? So, 
I personally um, was interested um, in the uh, opening salvo, I think, before the interview itself. I feel yeah. that um, just obviously as you uh, layered it is more of a just a introductory discovery, uh, you know, Q&A, um, and it keeps it relatively simple on that front. Um, but, you know, I kind of appreciated just the um, very, I think what's the word uh, cohesive i guess um and uh, yeah cohesive way of just um planning you know he's worth baby rose some walker and then had a website that you can't go on anymore and uh, then he got kendrick and then obviously the q a kind of uh, i guess with that foundation uh opens up on all of that um just a little bit i would have preferred more but that's but that is what it is um that's just how i I'm kind of ravenous when it comes to that. It's just like I want to know more. Just, I want more detail, but um, you know, is what it is, is is it feel it fulfills the purpose of what it's supposed to be, which is fine. Um, one particular, um, I think noble for me, um, if I try and find the particular question, um, is when he, I think he, when he goes past the Kendrick stuff, um, because obviously, well, that's kind of most of it, but I think the working with him element of it. Um, I find I found that particularly fascinating because I don't know about you guys, but just um, potentially being because this doesn't happen to everybody, um, everyone and not everybody gets the, a cosign from you know their favorite artist uh, at at that time, right? Um, I think this this kind of reminds me of also because um, Kendrick's already done this before in some way. Uh, I think it was uh, was it Teddy Walton on a, on on the damn on the damn album where it just had like just got this dude that no one heard of and uh, just put him on uh, yeah. with that yeah it's, it's you know it's reminiscent of that so um, I kind of got deja vu especially from that but you know you go you ask um, what did it feel like for you to spend time with Kendrick this must have must have been a special time and uh, and stuff like that I always kind of just think about it in uh, you know you kind of try you try and put yourself in that person's shoes and it's just like what do you do in that fashion because as it says in the interview so it was majority remote um, so, you know, you're just throwing stuff and they, they, he didn't know the concept until, until he's heard it himself uh, when, you know, in the same time as the rest of us. And it must be, it must've felt, it must've felt interesting just, uh, you know, throwing, throwing stuff to them and not knowing whether it's sticking or not, um, until obviously he got that text. Um, so it must've been a lot of, in my mind, I would have imagined, uh, a lot of just, uh, uh, unsure, unsureness, you know, not fe- not feeling sure about. This. Uh, am I am I delivering the right stuff here? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know I'll, I mean? I'll yeah, yeah, I'll pick up, I'll pick up where you are. So that yeah. actually kind of leads into my favorite little Q and A part that uh, mm-hmm. was kind of within that section. Um, that I thought this is a a good kind of avenue to highlight Brand Blanchett's uh, interview skill. I thought. Um, and how he asked this specific question is, which is how do you manage to stay composed in a situation where you're getting insight from somebody whose career you've been following and inspired by for all of these years, which I think is such a, like a specific question, which resulted in this answer that, um, by Tim Maxey, that was basically like, you know, you, 
you're getting the opportunity to work with someone, but you have to realize what got you there, right? Which is your own taste level. So you can't go in there and be like, okay, now I have to maneuver myself into whatever sphere this is. You have to trust your taste, that your taste has aligned with someone, even though you admire them so much. I thought that was a really um, astute kind of back and forth and insight into to that that part or that world or playing that role, which is is sometimes difficult to navigate. But the kind of the main thing is really trust. Yeah. Um, jo- Joshua, what did you what did you think about the piece, or what do you think specifically about um, that that sort of idea of kind of working with these people that you've admired for a long time? I think that part was the craziest part because you know when you see people share something on social media a hundred times because this one movie quote something that seemingly is pretty generic or obvious seems to resonate with a lot of people. That's how I felt about this piece. I was like, damn, is this my next Instagram caption? Um, but a lot of the recent years of my life have been working with people I've dreamt of working about with or didn't even... Didn't, couldn't even conceptualize the idea that there would be an opportunity to work with them. And I catch myself feeling that feeling a lot, you know, of it's it's such a privilege and so humbling. But that you have to remember that everyone is just as human as you are, which means you are just as capable as they are. And if you're working with them, it's because you had something to offer, not because you're lucky or because someone's doing you a favor. And so I think he was really concise in describing that you can sort of be excited and enamored and still know that you deserve to be there at the same time. I'm trying very hard not to use the word grateful because I actually think it's dangerous when we say we're grateful to be around other people or to be seen by other people because we should just be in gratitude to be around anyone in general, but being excited is different than feeling indebted in some capacity. So I really enjoyed that part of the interview. And I like the way that the the writer stacked the questions so that they're answering effectively what could really be one question, but broken up into three separate answers because his answers are so fun and concise and it prevents it from being too, too long as a singular question, but it's really answering the same thought process. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I noticed that a lot in the piece. I was, when I was reading it, just like from a kind of, bird's eye view of like being someone who interviews there was a he was really finessing when he would give him only like one or two word answers to then have an immediate follow-up it felt like like I felt like I was in the rhythm of the conversation with them on the page which is not that easy to do but it felt like that was because no matter what he was gonna gonna get to a deeper layer because he had these follow-up questions in his back pocket in order to get there um and I I thought that was really great uh, aspect of the, the interview style too. Um, I wanted to talk about, this is kind of just to expand our conversation a little bit more to close it out before we, uh, move on to the next piece. Um, one thing that he kind of got out of him, which was the thing that a part of the thing that really drew me in, uh, and kind of is a result of that continual asking of questions rather than the kind of basic first answer that he got was he, Maxie eventually said what he really admired about Kendrick's music specifically from the beginning and that continues to inspire him is the level of detail and care and album construction. And even to this 
to this album that we've gotten now, which has had kind of mixed reviews all over the place. I think to me, what still puts it a level above everything else is that quality. And that's something that from the beginning, and I'm talking about even pre Good Kid Mad City, like Section 80 and even the OD mixtape, that's something that has just like always struck me about Kendrick as being my favorite artist because he's like another level above how I how I personally hear other albums. Um, mm. And I was wondering if you guys just just on some like personal kind of shooting the shit stuff, which is fun to do on the podcast every once in a while, if you feel that way about his music or there's another artist whose album construction, I just like I just like the way he put that, that like stands out to you as just kind of a tier above the rest of the music that you hear. A hundred percent. I think that as music nerds or music lovers, there's something about I don't want to call it inaccessible because it's not, but something that takes a second to think about, something that isn't instant gratification, something where even if it's not, even if every song is not the version of Kendrick I love to hear, I still have this immense amount of affinity and respect to understanding the story or the art or the process he's trying to tell me about because I'm invested in that artistry. And that artistry doesn't always have to mean I'm a fan of that project or obsessed with every song. And it's just kind of like a respect for the process. It feels like being in camaraderie with certain artists. And listen, there's stuff you listen to 10 seconds of and you love it. I'm not shitting on short form or single releases or things that aren't necessarily an experience in how they're created. But I do think there's something magical about that and about things that take a few listens for you to decide how you feel about it or allowing for evolution of how you feel about it. I think somewhere in here, he asks him the question of, you know, after people listen to the music on Kendrick's album, is it easy, correct me if I'm wrong on on the question, but is it easy for them to consume your music or the songs on your album? And he says, no, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's something that's really special because you're going from somebody else's and Maxi talks a little bit about how personal the creation process was and how little context Kendrick had given him. And then his personal experience in music ends up on an album that's hyper personal to Kendrick, right? And so I think there's something really, really magical about that because it's not always easy listening, right? And that's kind of cool to me. Yeah, right. I will say in, in a little bit of contrast to that, the thing that has been kind of this constant line for me about Kendrick's music specifically though, is the balance between those two things, which I think he kind of gets into in this interview. It's like, it's not like a strictly, it's not like listening to artists that are just for pure like escapism. Do you know what I mean? To where it's like, I can like let go of everything and just let this wash over me kind of thing as I'm listening to it. But at the same time, it never feels like I have to work too hard to understand the context. And that that has to do with the construction too. And that's to me kind of, you kind of helped me define it for myself by saying that Jashima is like, that's what actually makes it the level above for me is that it it never verges on the stuff where I'm like, 
well, I feel like I have to listen, like reach and listen to this to even really get what you're going for. I've never felt that with any of the Kendrick stuff, but I do feel like it's a more I should be paying attention listen than the general like escapist wash of stuff too. But it never feels like I'm having to work too hard. It's there, but I like want to analyze it. It makes me want to dive deeper rather than need to dive deeper. Yeah, I think Um, you described what I was trying to say much better than I did. I like that it makes me curious but it's not inaccessible or hard to process and to the tune of like what it means to different people Charlie I want to hear how you feel about it but even in the piece he talks about you know things are interpreted differently for everyone that's just life and art and everybody's a person and everybody listens to music and so the part of Kendrick I like is you can either go figure out what it meant to him or you can take what it means to you and you don't need to do much more work yeah I mean he clearly goes down that route now where it's just you f- you, you 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 want what you want from it <laughs> you know what i mean it's not he's not gonna he's not gonna go on every interview uh and you know hop on every uh spend a day going through um you know interview to interview uh to explain himself of why he put it th- did this or why he did that it's just what it is and you can take what you want from that um, I take less from what Mickey takes, apparently, and that is what it is. Um, I think the quote uh, that you had, Jashima, from this interview, which, uh, which actually makes a lot of sense and obviously connects to all this, uh, was uh, he, uh, he asked, um, do you think it'll be an easy transition for fans of these three tracks? Jump into CLP, he goes, not always hard. I think we're just a day, uh, at a day where we like to listen to a whole bunch of different things. There's certain elements in black music that are silver linings, you know, no matter what we do, no matter what we create. And you know, that, that speaks a lot to um, me personally. Um, answering your question, Mickey, I feel like uh, something like uh, uh, Blue in Exile, uh, when I listen to those guys, uh, they come through with just absolute uh, masterpieces, but they're still yeah. easy to listen to at the same time. And But they have that depth, especially the recent one, Miles, that just are so so many layers of, um, you know, obviously being dedicated to Miles Davis in some fashion in jazz as a whole um but there's just so much more in there uh to 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 eat um but as a casual listen is very um interesting and yeah i do get those from kendrick albums where you can i can easily spin cookie metzi front to back um in the background or actively listening to it it has it just achieves all that um yeah. and you know it is it's a it's a rare it's a rare feat i i feel to do that yeah. Um, to have that ability it is it's a balancing act to have that and not everybody can do that Um, but um, yeah it's interesting on the Kendrick front where it's just um, where um, interpretation uh, means a lot for how Mr. Morale's seen which is I think why it comes across as so well has has came and delivered obviously some mixed reviews uh, and not everybody loves it but that's why art is interesting it's why I see Mona Lisa and I'm just like it's a woman with a smirk bro like, I don't see the depth in it but you know I'm an art pleb um, but I'm, I'm sure an art historian we could talk talk my ear off about how great it is but I see some other piece of art and I see that as better but not as uh, not as popular so it is what it is and there's all that all those intersectionalities
you, un- unbeknownst to you, Charlie actually set up a pretty smooth transition into Justrama's piece about perspectives, I perspectives <laughs> on uh, on on art uh, specifically. So I'll, I'll give give Justrama the, the easy alley oop to her piece. Show yeah, the piece is called Kid Cudi's. Kid Cudi calls fans bogus for saying original. A kid named Cudi mixtape artwork is better than the new version. The writer is C. Vernon Coleman. Um, With all respect to the publication writer, I did not select this piece for its journalistic prowess. I selected it because in the past, Ryan has brought many mediums of journalism to the podcast, but I think it would be really cool to just shoot the shit on what album art means to all of us and talk a little bit about fans' reactions to those things because this actually for me was exciting because I think the most lame basic things are often sensationalized but something like album artwork which a lot of artists put a lot of time money and effort into often doesn't get talked about as much as it used to or at least maybe that's my echo chamber but I feel like in the early mid-2000s hip-hop album artwork was a conversation topic it was an entire production to create things were much different and fans felt really attached to the imagery or the lifestyle or what that artwork depicted. Um, so I'm curious to hear what everyone thinks of the artwork and the reaction to the artwork. Hmm. Uh, well, first, I, I do want to say this first, uh, which is I think it, it, it serves us well as a podcast to kind of uncover and highlight all aspects of music journalism. And I'm, I've never been on an episode where we actually are highlighting some version of a news piece. But the fact that a news piece in itself and what someone took the time to actually highlight in the back and forth and the way that they presented it spurs a kind of what can be a rounded and holistic conversation and the ideas about album art, which I thought was, you know, it's it's a standard news piece, but it's presented really well, is an important thing to highlight because people who are news writers are just as legitimate journalists as people who are able to just write long winding, intriguing, full rounded profiles that there's actually a real craft to this style of writing. So I do think that there is really an inherent value of, you know, it's it's been, been, we've done a lot, a lot of episodes over 50 now. Right. And it's good, good to actually highlight someone who's doing this on the day to day, which is a grueling, um, but craft filled practice. Yeah, I think it was really important because what he does do is he's super concise in his delivery, but it's not sensationalized. And when your output is that high, I think journalists like this also deserve credit for being able to deliver important topics in a much shorter length. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but all of that said, so shout out C. Vernon Coleman the second. First of all, one of the illest names of any writer to be featured on this podcast, first and foremost. Um, (laughs) Sounds awesome. Anyway, uh, what I will say, which is interesting, I thought it was just kind of actually really interesting contextually for me to think about it, this particular artwork, because my first kind of reaction was actually like, (laughs) Kid Cudi, this dude is trolling you. Yeah. Very, very clearly. Yeah. What at at this height and level of your career, Big to KD what end energy are you one. are yeah. you responding to this? Yeah. Big Kevin Durant. Even energy. in the way that the tweet is worded, is like this is not even serious. Like yeah. this is a troll. Yeah. So that was kind of the first kind of funny thing. But I also do think that from a fan perspective, there is like a legitimacy to tying 
the identity of album art to a project, no matter what your like looking back perspective is on it, it's like a weird move to use your, to me even, and I didn't expect to think this when I was thinking about it, but it's a weird move to actually shift away entirely from the aesthetic that existed in that era and be like, this is my now presentation and with now eyes perspective on this project as I'm re-releasing it feels a little, it felt, I, I actually understood, even though that guy on the internet is a troll, for some reason I like understand if he wasn't a troll, let's like pretend for a second, that ideology of being like, it's too iconic of an image, which I mean, for like kind of real day one Kid Cudi fans, as much as whatever his feelings are about it now, it is like a very cemented image of the representation of that album. So I even do understand the kind of like, I understand you like this better, but it just is this image that represents this. So it feels weird to change it, which I thought I thought I would lean way more into the ideology of like the artist can do whatever the artist wants with their art. But I do kind of understand the gripe a little bit, to be honest. I mean, he says, um, he said on the response tweet, he said, I'm sorry, but that cover I never liked, and this is way better to see me at the time. I was, well, why didn't you pick it? And, uh, I'd, I'd love someone to actually ask that question, hopefully he answers it at some point, because, yeah. I mean, this new one kind of gives me, like, Mac Miller Kids vibes, um, since yeah. that came out, like, a similar time, but obviously it has Kid Cudi's kind of, I guess, essence in some way, um, sure. with, with the black and white, and not as colourful um, as, as Kids. Um, but obviously I, I mean, remembering the mixtape in question, I feel like the original, uh, artwork fits more, you know, in terms of what it is, I feel like it fits, but, um, yeah. And that's, that's tied to nostalgia, but in this case, like nothing is more important than the nostalgia in the re-release because he's not like doing new work like it the <laughs> whole point of the re-release is like you now have access to this on this these platforms and i want you to feel the nostalgia but if you do a new cover to take away from that it's kind of counterintuitive to me but i think there's not, also an element gone. of like right i think you know when we get into what art and ownership and being present for a time in someone's career means to fans I don't even think it's about like the album artwork representing what the album was or that time. I think it's just like if I bought an Avril Lavigne album in 2002 (laughs) and she re-releases it and wants me to consume it on DSPs, I'm going to be like, okay, but like that looks different from the thing that I invested my time, energy, moment of nostalgia, money in. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm neither way on this actually, but... I, I think there's something about that, right? There's something about an artist being entitled to being like, listen, this is a much better visual representation of where I was at during that time frame than the thing that we chose, someone else chose, whatever the circumstances were. But there's also so much validity in an audience being like, okay, but for us as the consumer, that was where we were because that's what you put out and that's what we invested in, right? So as much as artwork is a representation of the artist, it becomes... a moments in our lives, things that have significance to us. And in a place where everything is consumed digitally and it's hyper-visual, I can see how that becomes a dissonance, right? Like, you're going to listen to your favorite song on the album and when it's on Spotify or Apple Music or Tidal or whatever, 
you look down at your phone and the image isn't what you're used to mentally associating with that, which in some ways I think is cool because it challenges people to go beyond what's being fed to them. And like, if you love the music, you love the music. But I think both perspectives are super interesting. You know what this makes me think of a little bit? And it, this is the kind of, this, this is a much bigger conversation, but it is clearly on some level where we're kind of heading, which is like the Kanye stem player thing, giving like autonomy over things. Well, it's just like a, a different, getting a different way of, of accessing stuff rather than the original way. I don't know why this is connecting me now that I'm saying, connecting to me in the same way as it's saying out loud, but it's just like the way that you worded that, Jashima, is like getting it in that association that you have with something rather than it being like what the original thing was that was presented as a whole in one space and time by an artist is like, this is my offering to you here. It's like presenting it in a new way that's like challenging your brain to think about it differently because it's new artwork. And that feels like similar to like, rather than just releasing Donda 2, it's like releasing it and then you have to put your own interpretation on it with this new idea. I don't know if that connects or makes sense at all. Yeah. But it felt, to me, that, that idea felt like I kind of made a choice in my own head. I was like, I don't want this. Like, I don't want to have to make this new choice. I want you to deliver it to me and it's, this is the thing and here it is. Like the going back and changing stuff is not for me. And I think that's why I kind of like tap in in the same way to the, the even though he's a troll, whatever that perspective behind that is, which is like, just present it how it is. This is what it is. This is the time of this thing. Yeah. This is your offering and then leave it alone. If you want to put out something else, then put out a new thing that has its own identity. I mean, I think for sure that's part of it. It's also just like when we take ownership over songs or words or beats or visuals or art or anything, we're really saying, I want to feel the way I felt. At least I think we're really saying, I want to feel the way I felt when I heard this. I want to go back to a headspace that feels X, Y, Z to me. And I think we're so detached from articulating what that feeling is and being able to say I want things that make me feel this way again as opposed to being so attached to the thing that causes the feeling right and I think that that's the real get here and that's why artwork is so important it's like how do I put all these emotions into this one thing that's how I feel but then to the consumers and the audience it's also going to mean something to how they feel. We do it all the time. We're creating album artwork for a lot of the artists we work with right now for releases and so much more thought goes into it than a lot of people think about, especially as you start to span different genres. But I think when I introduced the piece, I, I, I used the phrase, like, I didn't pick this for its journalistic prowess. I want, I want to revise that because that's not how I meant it. Um, that's inaccurate. I actually wish I was, I strongly admire short form and being concise, but I also wanted to give a huge shout out to the fact that the piece has several different album artworks, song artworks as a part of it. And I think that when oh. you start to scroll down, yes, is a really incredible way to get people to keep thinking, even though it doesn't overtly look like it's part of the piece. Um, now, the caveat to this is XXL, man, like these ads are all up in my business looking at this artwork. <laughs> I'm just trying to look at the artwork. 
It's oh, so funny. Are you are you trying to get get Charlie back and transition into his piece really smoothly now too, talking about ads? Listen, that was not the alley oop, but I'll take hey, it. Hey, hey, you know what, Vicky? Actually, um, the the Kanye Stem Player one was even better. I was just like, damn, we should stop it. I thought that's <laughs> what we were gonna go to. But um, right. on the on the on the uh, artwork below, kind of front, I was I was looking at them, and some of them I haven't seen before. So some like this one, Trinity Garden. Don't blame me on the music. I was just like, what am I looking at? It's crazy. But um, I'm wondering where uh, Capadonna's, um, or whatever the fuck it was called, uh, t- Black Tarzan. Have you seen that? Go look that up. That's that's a that's a that's an interesting uh, piece of artwork right there. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel I feel like. Um, uh, yeah, c- controversial hip hop album covers apparently since uh, since Two Life Crew, um, but I mean I was looking I was looking to the left of me and I have um, Untitled Unmastered and the uh, Drake's 2001 there and they're kind of obviously as, as, as most of you know you know kind of just voids which is <laughs> devoid of anything apart from a bit of text and I kind of and you remind me of that of a, a that came off obviously what you're talking about uh, with Donda Two and how that's just black just a black square. And what do you even take from that? And I feel like most of those, uh, where it's just one color and just super minimalist, I kind of tune out. I feel like there has to be at least something of note in there. I guess 2001 has the weed leaf. Uh, you can take that if you want. But I feel like just a solid block of color is just um, a bit weird. And that's just a random thought I had. Um, but I guess um, wrapping up on the album covers and artworks and stuff like that. Obviously, nostalgia plays a big play, a big part in this particular story. Um, and you know, like I said, I feel like the original one objectively fits his discography, considering he has all you know the uh, all the uh, space imagery and uh, and all that and all that stuff. It fits, um, but you know, it's a re-release. It is what it is. Um, I don't really see many people getting aggy about something. Obviously, it's not as different as this because obviously this is a major departure from the previous um, iteration. But you know, deluxe editions. Um, some people go overt with it. Some people just change the color a bit, um, and you can switch that out. But I don't see people getting obviously nostalgia removed from this equation. I don't see people getting pissy about you know so much fun being red instead of green. Uh, you know, you know what I mean. So I feel like there's a lot of stuff where you know people hold a lot of hold a lot towards it. The longer they, the longer they're interested in it. Um, but you know, I guess if I guess if you change Marvin Gaye's what's going on, uh, and they just you know used a different photo from that particular photo shoot, it would feel different. It would feel type. Make me feel the type of way. Um, but even with that, I guess that's a different. Uh, you know, that's the same. Charlie, shoot, but, Charlie, yeah. let's not do sacrilegious stuff like that, okay? Let's not even put that into the <laughs> They wouldn't dare. Motown wouldn't dare. Speaking of potentially sacrilegious uses of uh, putting music into the universe. 
Okay. I don't know if this worked at all, but we're gonna transition into Charlie's piece now. Okay. All right. This is good try. It was good. It was good. We got there. We got there. That was, right. was terrible. Uh, I'll look back and regret that, but we're gonna keep going anyway. Hey man, we'll we're all getting better every day. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so this is via Passion of the Wise uh, by Will Hagels called uh, Black Stars No Fear of Time or How Uploading an Album as Podcast Could Take Back Control for Big Screaming. I did some what's good as a long read. If you wanna go um, hear me read that, uh, read the whole thing. So it's, uh, go for it um but yeah basically to break it all down uh because mickey came at me because obviously um uh, as, as we said uh, tyler dipped out literally about an hour before we were supposed to record and i was trying to like um you know superhero it and just go fuck it let me just throw something in and this was the most recent thing i read music wise um probably not the best uh, thing to throw uh with half an hour of uh of prep time but we're here and we're doing it so basically this is um well I'll ask the easy question. Um, have you guys heard the new Black Star album? And if no, and if no why not? No, I have not because, no, because of the exact I'm not reason. Streaming on Luminary. <laughs> exact reason that he says in the first paragraph. <laughs> don't want to give you a credit card for another subscription service whose business right. model is paying you if we get to cancel. And, exactly. And I had not listened to Donda 2 until someone who shall not be named sent me it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, funny enough, I have heard No Fear of Time in that exact um, s- uh, suspect. Very <laughs> um, So, as you said, you've, you've refigured out how to use media fire links as we did in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so this is um, supposed to be modeled as a review of the album, but it kind of just um, goes to the left and. Uh, kind of just doesn't talk about the album at all um well he he basically he literally says me neither so let's talk about it um regardless while actually not talking about the album it was obviously more about how the album was released so for those that don't know it was released uh, obviously uh yasin bay talib kwali with their second album no fear of time releasing it on a podcast service a subscription-based podcast service called luminary uh, which they also have a podcast on called The Midnight Miracle, uh, along with uh, Dave Chappelle. Um, so they released it to, you know, kind of little fanfare. I don't think this, you know, overall release succeeded in what it was supposed to do. In my mind, it was supposed to, you know, be something different and kind of open people's eyes to a new thing. But breaking it down it's really the same as you know a patreon or something like that not everybody's gonna spin it because not everybody wants to uh subscribe um to that um sometimes i sometimes don't subscribe to stuff in that case where it's you know people quote-unquote content created and all that stuff simply because they're inconsistent and i'm just like well why would i do that if you're not gonna be consistent that's part of why i don't um, participate in that kind of stuff because i want to be consistent obviously i try to be with all the things that we're doing here um with this podcast and other stuff but i mean shit i might you know something might happen i won't be able to be consistent and that will eat at me for the rest of my life kind of thing um but little middle 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 it gets into um rss um which some of you have heard i'm sure uh, rich, uh, rich uh, syndication, rich something syndication, uh, rich system syndication, I think. Um, but basically, the ability to um, spin MP3 files, such as this podcast, actually, you can spin it in this case, 
as opposed, which was a relic of, you know, technologically, it's a relic. It used to be, it came around during Web 1.0. We're currently obviously deep in Web 2.0. And obviously you guys have may have heard Web 3.0, which comes towards, um, you know, blockchain, crypto, all that stuff um, that people are wrangling at the moment. Um, so he gives an example, uh, such as um, Google's Reader and Readly, which um, were RSS aggregators, so to speak, and gave you, if you uh, followed um, Passion of the Wise, for example, or Central Source, for an example, you can get um, everything, you know, in real time on that um, aggregation service, and you can read, you know, to your heart's content. It's just a place to get all your stuff. That's obviously been replaced with algorithms, and uh, you can uh, shout out to you know stuff, stuff like iTunes, Apple Music, and obviously Spotify have obviously put um, steroids into that shit with the algorithm. You don't discover stuff. Uh, uh, you don't discover stuff organically. Spotify and the other um, streaming sites give you stuff like the stuff you're listening to to varying degrees of success they don't trust you so to speak to discover for yourself um for some reason but obviously that comes more towards you know clicks and data and how they get money themselves um so it gets into that and gets into obviously the quote-unquote classic debate uh once it's been raging unanswered since the advent of cable television this is a quote should media be free and advertiser driven or exclusive and subscriber driven um, obviously Netflix and stuff like that is more subscriber driven but they also are implementing advertiser driven uh, and free modes so they're trying to have both of their cakes basically um, so yeah there's a lot to this <laughs> article and I feel like I have I've only scratched the surface towards this um, but it gets it gets near the end it kind of gets into not a well, it literally says um, the RSS feed isn't a magical cure, and it isn't. Um, but it's kind. I guess he, Will Hagel's, trying to get to the point of RSS was something that could have been built upon, but instead we allowed private companies to instead do something alternatively, and now that has kind of clouded us um, into this space of very numbers-based unemotional way of discovering things or instead being pumped with stuff that you may not care about you know i i I read stuff on google news just because it's there um but it's kind of hard to actually discover shit i actually want to discover like i want to read some music articles it's hard to do that on google news unless you read uh unless you search for um, a specific music site um read i don't even know if readly exists anymore i used to have it but i don't even know if it exists anymore um so i'll throw it to the floor um i won't even i won't even tee it up where do you go <laughs> where, uh, go where you want to go with this because obviously there's uh, a lot to lot to eat um on this conversation you can go from the subscriber driven versus the advertiser driven or any of the other stuff uh, they get into obviously uh, uh, will hagel gets into on this cycle I loved this piece. I knew um, you would, Jay. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things I've read in a very, very, very long time. Also because I think by virtue of my life, I'm always explaining how a system works, but I never really get to read or share my take on 
if I agree, disagree, support, don't support, I'm just explaining the actual, this is what that is, right? I think we've had enough like, okay, but do do we actually know what Web3 is or what it's becoming conversations on the podcast? Um, I think effectively, like the way I look at aggregation or RSS or things like that is the purpose of the internet was to collate and aggregate information for consumption. Now, when there's unregulated consumption or non-algorithm-driven consumption, it makes the assumption that everyone consuming can critically consume and will understand bias, tone, things like that. Now, we all know that none of that is true on either side. That's not why it's created and how it's used, and that's certainly not true of the consumers consuming it. But I think, firstly... Saying you're releasing an album as a podcast is just like adding another synonym cool kid word for something. Um, Because it's just an album on a podcasting platform. The real conversation here is like, it's been paywalled on another service, right? At this point, we're treating album and podcast like they're synonymous, service and streaming platform like they're synonymous. And so I think that in of itself is like a thing to look out for is how we're marketed these different things where I think he mentions this a little bit in the piece. People are alley-ooping from the music industry has died a few times. It's corrupt. Streaming services are this. Now it's on an audio platform. Unregulated podcasting audio is generating this many billions as an industry, which is true, right? But those numbers where they come from who's listening to it how it's accessible that's all by design to a degree and i will say like podcasting is one of the few mediums where because it's so individual generated and creator generated almost like youtube not too long ago there's so many people creating their own content relying on their own first-hand audiences right and that's why they're able to niche monetize from the beginning versus music being on a platform with a label independently through a distributor there's all these funnels that happen to release the music right with a podcast we record this and charlie puts it up it doesn't have to go through an ingestion feed to end up on 10 other podcasting platforms and if it does we still were the inception publisher effectively um so that's like i think i'm on a tangent here but i really enjoyed the way hegel was able to talk about those different layers from this is how music gets distributed and this is the the consumer's perception of like okay we're not engaging with big enemy streaming industry music and now we're engaging with audio but like what is the difference between those things and are they that different or is quote-unquote audio and podcasting just earlier in its life cycle of how it's eventually and already is being packaged and aggregated right um so that's one thought on i guess the the operational side of things then there's the like fans wanting to listen to an album if this was about artists making a livable wage and creating music and being happy and content with the consumers that want to pay for their music whether that's by paying for a paywall like luminary or buying a record or patreon or whatever i think that's awesome i think the part that gets ignored in this whole equation is that's not all that a lot of artists want many artists want fame and notoriety and there's nothing wrong with wanting those things but the more and more things are paywalled and not available to everybody the harder and harder it becomes to generate that type of mass accessibility 
and mass notoriety, um, which I think is dangerous. And, you know, to that tune, all of us that arguably probably would have listened to the album, whether we're huge fans or not, now didn't listen to it. Yeah. Um, before you go, Mickey, I want to read a couple of quotes from this um, and on to what Josh was talking about. Um, so first thing on here goes, uh, I'm honestly horrible at math, so forgive me if this wrong, but that works out to 750. Uh, the, uh, the paragraph before was talking about uh, Spotify audience network and uh, uh, how they pay. So it says uh, between 0.00331 and 00.00. 437 per stream for musicians and anchor for example pays 15 uh dollars uh, cpm uh, to advertise itself on its own platform um so doing the math there a thousand times uh, 750 uh dollars um seven dollars 50 cents for an artist two songs stream thousand times compared to 15 dollars whole as a, for a podcaster who gets a thousand on their on their ad um so even there there's an incentive there um, and uh, there's another one here going, uh, what if you could follow, quote-unquote, your favourite artist and get instant updates about new songs they post with the occasional relevant targeted ad thrown in that's pertaining to, you know, a podcast. If they did it like this, say if Danny Brown, uh, which uh, who has a Danny Brown show, which is actually a heater fucking podcast, shout out to him, what if he released his new album on that, on that feed, and, you know, there's an ad in the middle <laughs> with that, with that, would you fuck with that, Mickey, for example? Oh, man. Uh, I think <laughs> the the thing I think that, well, I only had 10 to 15 minutes. You'll forgive this. And I think the, <laughs> the, the part that made it even harder to ingest was like my own block, which right. is that this thing is just like such a circle to think about is. that mm. like is, has no answer. And then I'm like, okay, I have to look at the technical elements of this, but then I just get frustrated because there's <laughs> no good answer <laughs> because the real answer to your question, Charlie is no, I would not like that. <laughs> like a hundred percent no yeah. like that that's what separates music from podcasts and he talks about this in the thing is like no matter which way i spin it if if i'm just talking about me based on what i've become accustomed to i am not into i literally bit the bullet and paid for regular spotify subscription just so if i ever have to go on spotify for anything i don't have to hear ads like i did because i can't like with music i'm not with the vibes like I can't, mm-hmm. and i mean we started this podcast talking about al- album construction <laughs> like clearly that's a thing that matters to me uh, although you know it's interesting in the modern context because that doesn't necessarily matter to as many listeners as it used to but to me i'm not into it so <laughs> that is the first and foremost thing but then you can't even say that without feeling like you're being insensitive to to artists what are you making that face for? So <laughs> Charlie's just making had, like just, a head explosion. Uh, I've, I've just had I've just had a thought, which would be so hilarious if this system actually was a thing, and yeah. people actually uh, uh, embraced it. Imagine if Travis Scott released Utopia, but it had like better help ads in the middle. <laughs> no, but that's a real thing, right? Like, I think that, I'll give you an example. There's a sex therapist and educational content creator named Shannon Boudram. She goes by Shannon Booty. She's been oh, on YouTube yeah. for like 12 years or something crazy, right? So I used to watch her when I was younger. Her partner, Jared Brady, has a podcast called Enjoy the Podcast, 
with two other dudes that are his friends and they talk about an array of things. Jared's also an artist. So the intro to both many of her segments and his podcast is his song. Right. And so what that's done for him is the podcast has fuck all to do with the music, right? Um, should I be cursing? Um, but that song is now burnt into my brain because of the amount of times I've heard it, even though I've only heard 30 seconds of it. And so then we get into this portion of like, is the podcast an opportunity to also place music as ads and become a discovery mechanism, which I'm much more interested in than it being the medium of consumption. Cause like Mickey, I don't want to hear ads while I'm listening to music, but I think that's really about an audio consumer, right? There's also podcasting platforms where you pay for a podcast with no ads um, because people don't want that interrupted either. But I don't know. If Travis Scott released it, would you listen? Oh, I mean, I would still listen, but I'd be upset when the ad came on. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's not get it twisted. I'd be like, fucking Jesus, what is that coming to? <laughs> it is a mood killer. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's how I would feel. But yeah, it's I feel bad even saying it out loud because it makes me feel like I don't care about like artists getting paid their worth. But it also is like it's this is the moment of the every other podcast where I say the that the solution is only to eradicate capitalism. And that's really the only thing that we can do to protect art, because at some point, because of the society we live in, the artists need to get paid. So it's kind of this like weird in between thing, almost similar to the the like, you know, the album art discussion is like, yeah, like I don't really like it, but it doesn't mean that like the artist shouldn't have agency over whatever, however they put their art out that's best for them. And the reality is, is like they have to put food. On I mean, but like, also not- like I'm pro hour. We all want capitalism to not be a thing, but yep. let's not forget that. Like as much as we say art should be this virtuous with no bounds, complete autonomy. If something is a career or a job, and that's not to say any environment shouldn't be positive and without toxicity, but there is accountability, right? There is an exchange that happens between consumer, listener, and artist. And so I'm sure we might all disagree on what is or is not good music to us. We may have different views on a song, but there probably are certain things we can all agree on and be like, oh, that person literally just like recorded themselves peeing and that's on the internet. Like we're not like, this isn't it. Right. Um, and there, that might be it for somebody. Okay. But it's probably it for a lot of people, but not us. <laughs> this, this, this went places, this example. Um, but I think that there is some accountability that artists do have of like, you can't just expect because you're doing something through a vulnerable liberal medium that the world should just continue to consume you, support you, allow for you to do as you wish, when you wish. Do we do that with our doctors? Do we do that with other people providing us a product or a service? And I think that gets hairy because I understand that art is not those things. But no, I don't know. I think that as much as I care about artists being paid well and being paid fairly, I think that's also tied to how they use their platform and what they're creating right um because would we hand that autonomy to somebody else yeah here's so here's the thing i've been thinking about a lot because i thought it was happening with this one artist who i really like named toby lou who i've talked about a lot in the group chat and his album non-perishable that dropped earlier this year is one of my top five albums of the year so far. I thought this is what he was doing, but it ended up not being the case, but it was a clever kind of marketing play. 
what I thought he was doing is basically what he said is he released his album on streaming, but also had a website up where it was like you could buy the vinyl or the CD or merch or kind of stuff. What I thought he was initially doing was this idea that um, you have to this album is going to be on streaming services for whatever amount of days he did it, like two weeks or something. But then in order for it to be quote unquote, non-perishable, if you like the album, you have to purchase it. Right. So this is kind of like, and when I saw that, I was like, this is it. He got it. He found the middle ground. Yeah. But he didn't end up doing this, but I, it was this big idea to me because I had never seen anyone do this, which is kind of being like, I should have, get my due pay but on the same idea i should also cater to my audience so what i would be really interested for someone to do is to release an album on streaming services for a week and then be like literally if you want to keep fucking with this album Mm -hmm. either subscribe to my channel or purchase it on a digital download or CD mm. or thing. So it's kind of like a mix of both. To yep. me, that's the yep. real, like, I'm still thinking about my fans, yep. but I'm also fucking the system at B and getting my money. Do you guys um, think there's a world in which, pretend it's not even the streaming service, I go to Mickey's website to download his music, I get a five day, seven day free trial, and I'm a subscriber. Right. So I put in, it's like anything else. I put in all my credit card info, whatever. I get a seven day free trial. And on the seventh day, if I don't cancel, I get charged for it. And I can keep yeah. listening to those songs and those downloads. Or I think about the fact that like we, it's, it's so easy to create but that's un- the, unique but links. J- J- Joshua, that's the same thing low key because that's kind of the problem with the luminary thing though, too, is because it's like, we all have busy lives. So like if we subscribe to something more, ch- more, unless we like set an alarm for ourselves to unsubscribe more likely than not without our own full consent, we're really going to just end up paying for something. No, a hundred percent. I'm not saying that this is the right thing. I'm just wondering, Uh, like, when we're all critic, like, when people criticize a streaming platform from a not compensating the artists, I wonder if artists are like, okay, what if you subscribe to me and then the onus is on you to be responsible enough to cancel? But at least when people make the claim, like, at least if my money, if I wasn't, if I didn't remember to cancel, should go to the artist, then it is going to the artist, right? And then the artist has the accountability of being the business that has to deal with customers that want returns or have reviews or feedback or want refunds, right? Or like the flip side, like it is so easy to create unique links whereby Mickey gets a credit card, a, a direct download link, has to purchase, downloads a song, and then the link changes for the next person. So he can't send them that link and it won't work for them. I think there's a there courtesy of the internet, there are ways for artists to remove themselves from these platforms, much like the Luminary deal, because I'm sure that there was money involved there. But the problem is, is A will audiences transfer when you don't have massive ad machines and algorithm funding their buying behavior but b are artists willing to do the work to go off platform and generate audiences that won't generate fame yeah i feel um i think overall that idea is pretty decent i feel like that's probably the best idea we as a collective you know lamentation of we want to help artists but you know want the accessibility i guess at the same time because you know, people 
there's there's so many major label albums that drop and then you know people talk about it for maybe a week and then it's on to the next one yeah. So for the real, for the people, for the real fans, you know what I mean, for the real heads of whatever artist it is, you know, you can, you can, if you remove it after a month, you're good, and then like you know, go go copy it if you really, if, you know, put your put your money yeah. where your mouth is type deal, right? Because you know, like salt that. salt um salt uh, dropped nine and for ninety nine days, and now that's gone. So the only way, what's well, the only way you can get that? Probably vinyl at this point, right? So yeah. if you if you really want to see, if you want to spend money, I think they just they just are like crazy with it. I think that's literally just gone. Oh, it's <laughs> a gone dog. Fuck. Which is, which is <laughs> I mean, wild. They're not even trying to do marketing. They're just like, this yeah. Is all you well, yeah. For. Now, that's just a that's just a pure <laughs> artistic, uh, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. thing going on. So that's probably not the best. Shout, uh, out, yeah. shout out Inflow, though, best producer in the world. <laughs> God, the dick ride would be crazy. Please, please let me interview you. I'll say it on the podcast as many times as I need to. On dick all day. But yeah, finishing off, uh, I guess, um, I think it was the final point. Um, you know, yeah. as a contrast, um, Hegel has a, a bomb the music industry and Radiohead, obviously, like, leading that mini shift. Of, was it in Rainbows, that Radiohead album? That was like, um, you know, free, but pay what you want. Like, like kind of like Bandcamp, name your price, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, they did that, that um, to, um, some, somewhat, uh, you know, kind of, a not success, I guess, but not failure either. Um, and, you know, obviously you mentioned Donda 2 being directly on the stem player for how, how much was that? Like 350 or something like that for an unfinished album? Not happening, right? It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, and similar to this of, you know, um, of Blackstar coming through with this, it seems... It, it, there's a there's a distastefulness to it, where you know we've we, we've been loving this one album for years, for decades at this point, and then you go like, ah, right, we got it, guys. Here's the second one. Here's the second one. Yeah. It's on Luminary. Go subscribe, you bitches. It's it's it it, it fucks with you a bit. Um, it's and he says, yeah. albeit in a misguided way, and you both feel like marketing gimmicks, and I feel that, and uh, in in the quest for a more organic. It, well, as he says, organic reclamation of artistic ownership over distri- distribution and access. I mean, shit, Mickey, you, you probably you probably nailed it. To be honest, I feel like that's the closest we're gonna get to having you know our cake and eating it too for for the artist and for the fans. Where yeah. if you're a true fan, after a month, go cop the vinyl, go cop the cassette if they're one of those lot, you know, or CD, whatever, you know what I mean, or digital download. But then we get into like, what do you do about international? S- Shipping, regulation, sanctions on music, people that don't have record machines. Like, physicality in 2022 to me feels like a huge barrier to entry. Yeah. Definitely. Well, but it's also, but the, I mean, what Toby Lou did is like it was a digital download too. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's that's also always get, should be. That's a baseline. Yeah. That's that a baseline. I can that I can get behind. And yeah, then yeah, like yeah, your sure. your true like fans with the capital to do so become the ones that buy the record and the merch exactly. and the whatever. Yeah. It just it, it comes down to this. I it's I guess it's a weird word to use it, but it's like consent. Like I feel like I should be able to listen to it and consent to buying it. You sure. know what I mean? Like it's just like I, I've. It's kind of like, um, like the the pe- It's the same like bigger version of people on the street who are like really selling something to you, rather than being like, "Hey, check this out if you'd like." You know what I mean? I always want to. There just should be this level of like choice in something to check something out, to listen, decide, and then be like, "Okay, well, if I want to keep rocking with this, then I have to make a purchase." 
that's fine to me. I, I just, I feel like there, it feels like a, you know, it feels like a consent thing that I think should, should be something at the core that, that artists should want fans to be able to consent to experience their art, but also they should be paid for their art, what they're worth. Exactly. See, let the record show guys as we finish. Um, uh, Mickey came into this particular piece just mad nervous, like feeling like a dumbass, and he dropped like the biggest fucking idea like in 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 music history already. <laughs> nailed it, fucking nailed it. Yeah. If Toby any, Lou. shout Toby Lou, man. If any of you streaming platforms want to sponsor our podcast and create ads, our listeners have to listen to that serve as interruptions, or would like Mickey to consult on your go-to-market strategy. Um, feel free to drop us a line. My email is open. All of our emails are open. Well, <laughs> at risk of ending it there, uh, thank you everyone, though, for listening to uh, this episode. We've had some fun conversations about uh, three, I think, important pieces to talk about. And I'll just run through them again really quickly. Mine that I brought to the podcast today is Meet Not the Twos, the artist whose debut single landed on Kendrick Lamar's new album by Brenton Blanchett via Pidges and Plains. The second article brought to the podcast today by Jashima is Kid Cudi calls fan bogus for saying original A Kid Named Cudi mixtape artwork is better than the new version. That's by the journalist with the coolest name thus far we brought to the podcast, C. Vernon Coleman II, and that's via XXL. And then the third and final piece that we just discussed is Black Stars No Fear of Time or how uploading an album as a podcast could take back control from big streaming by Will Hagel via Passion of the Weiss. And that was brought to you by Charlie Taylor. Again, just to reiterate, thank you for listening. And as we say at the end of every episode, when we remember, if you are a independent journalist writing for what would be considered a smaller independent publication, uh, and would like us to read your work to consider it being put on the podcast. We do as much as we've, uh, I mean, well, Passion of the Weiss is an independent publication, but we do like to highlight journalists on this podcast whose work we think is really excellent, who who may not have come across our or many people's radar. So please feel free to DM or email us your work so we can read it and consider it, uh, consider highlighting it. Um, we definitely like to. Yeah, and if you yeah. think our artwork is bogus and needs to be uh, changed, I agree with you. Tweet at us. <laughs> is bo- where's, where's, bo- where's bogus in the uh, American lexicon, like location-wise? Where's that coming from? This, on the next mean? episode of Charlie <laughs> Finds the no, Origin oh. Story. Me, on the next episode, we oh, all discuss oxy. Charlie's dissection of surfer dude American lingo. <laughs> right, there, we, there you go, there you go. You answered the question. Like, why do you have to, be, why do you have to be obtuse? Exactly. There you go. Um, Anyway, (laughs) that's enough of us. Thank you for listening, everyone. I'm Mickey Hellerback, your host. I'm just a fan of language. That's all it is. And Charlie, a fan of language. And (laughs) Joshima, the queen of ideas, for sure, Mm. presenting me with solutions I didn't even know were out there to the problems presented in our final piece. Uh, Thank you for listening. We will catch you next time. Peace out. Peace out.
This episode of Research of Source featured Mick Hellebeck and Josh Marauder of the Central Source Creative Collective and me, Charlie Taylor of the 5th Podcast Network. The episode was edited by me. Music for the show is fucked up by Basti. Thanks to Chalk Music for the beer to use. This has been a Central Source and 5th M Podcast Network production. Thanks for Basti, Chalk Music, Central Source for the Element, and content coming the episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source.